TCU and BYU rekindle their old Mountain West rivalry this weekend in Fort Worth at 2.30 in the afternoon. Melissa sits down to preview that with a BYU beat reporter later on in the episode. Plus, TCU basketball gets a commitment. Where could that class end up in the team rankings? And, as always, the midweek mailbag. This is the Frogs Insider Podcast. Let's go! Welcome into the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here. Melissa Trebosser will be along shortly. She sits down this week to preview the BYU game with a very special guest. Jay Drew is uh, a guy who covers BYU. He's covered BYU for a long time. Melissa sits down with him to break down the Frogs and the Cougars this weekend. Very excited to hear what they have to say. Plus, as always, the folks over at Horn Frog Blitz gave some incredible questions this week. Very excited to get into those questions as my computer's doing something very freaky right now. If you're watching on the YouTube channel. There we go. All right. Um, thank you and thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. Thanks you to our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the show. You're going to hear more about them later on in the episode. Um, as you know, if you've listened to the show before, we are a part of the Republic of Football Network, part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, which has a podcast feed that covers every single D1 football program in the state of Texas. It's really fun to be a part of this community. If you go anywhere you get your podcasts and you search Republic of Football Network, you will see that feed pop up. Hit subscribe and you will get all of the podcasts in the network in one feed. Don't have to go anywhere else for any of the content. It's all right there. Very cool. A lot of fun. If you listen to the Texas A&M podcast this week, you might hear a question from yours truly because I had to hear from Jay Arnold, who's one of the hosts of the of the Aggie pod. He, 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 he put out an open call for questions, right? I do it every week on the site over at Horn Frog Blitz. He put out a call on Twitter. And so I had to know from Jay since he's known for traveling the country and eating ridiculous things like spoonfuls of mayo, if he had to survive on one food from the Texas State Fair for the rest of his life, what would he pick? And he answers that question on the podcast this week near the end of the Aggie Pod. So go listen to that. Hear Jay talk about his rationale. Mike Craven's the other host on that show. Mike's awesome. There's a lot of content with Dave Campbell's Texas football as well. If you're not following him, you absolutely should. So there's a plug for DCTF and the Republic of Football Network. You can also find, though, if you're just interested in the TCU feed, Frogs Insider, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Frogs Insider. Our feed, just with this show, will pop up. Like and subscribe. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Make sure you check out the YouTube channel. All of that stuff. All right. Podcast business done. Out of the way. We'll cover some more of the sponsors later in the show. Um, but before we get into the BYU preview with Jay Drew and Melissa, I want to note, because this happened earlier on Wednesday, I record this on Wednesdays, and it posts on Thursdays, I already get a feeling it's going to post a little bit later on Thursday than normal, just a hunch, call it a hunch, folks, I get those hunches from time to time, um, TCU got a, a basketball commitment for the 2024 class, kid by the name of Ashton Simmons, He's a three-star combo guard from Texas. He's the number 14 kid in the recruiting class for from the state of Texas. Very, very good recruit. Top 25 combo guard. 
Um, flew into town earlier this week for an official visit. Saw the campus, fell in love with it, committed. He had offers from Texas A&M, George Mason, uh, a couple other schools as well. Um, really exciting kid. Very long athletic guard. 6'3", about 190, long arms, good perimeter defender, good with the ball in his hands. Uh, this is a, a fantastic addition to TCU's class, joining Micah Robinson. With these two kids in the class, um, TCU currently has the number 30 class in the country for 2024 and the number five class in the Big 12. Um, that number could go up pretty quickly here because I think they're expecting at least one more commitment in the next day or two. Um, and if that happens, and if they get another kid that they're also talking to, we could be legitimately talking about TCU basketball having a top 10 class in the country for the class of 2024. And if you had told me that when I was an undergrad at TCU, I would have had to sit down or walk away because I would have thought you were a crazy person. Um, it's incredible what Jamie Dixon and this coaching staff are doing on the court, right? We've seen the results of that over the last few years. Uh, they've fallen short in the tournament a couple times. Some extenuating circumstances last year obviously really ham- hampered them against Gonzaga and Drew Timmy. Um, but Jamie Dixon is setting this basketball team up for the future incredibly well. We've seen what he's capable of doing in the portal. And now we've seen what TCU basketball having success on the court does for the high school recruiting portion of this program. Um, And it's just a really exciting time to to be following Horn Frog basketball. So their season gets kicked off on October 30th with a scrimmage against Texas Wesleyan. That is open to the public. You can go and see that at Ed Rachel Meyer Arena. And then the season... Regular season kicks off on November 6th with the game against Southern. So if you haven't gotten tickets for TCU basketball yet this year, you should do so because this year's team is going to be pretty exciting and fun. And it looks like based on the recruiting class that they're putting together for 2024 that the future years of hoops basketball, of hoops, Horn Frogs basketball, Horn Frog hoops uh, are going to be pretty exciting as well. So keep your eyes peeled for maybe another commitment in the next day or so uh, as TCU uh, continues to put together an awesome 2024 basketball recruiting class. Um, yeah. All right. Wanted to get that out of the way before we get into our preview. We are going to jump in now. This is Melissa Trebwasser, the one, the only, sitting down with Jay Drew, who covers BYU, to preview TCU and BYU. Let's go ahead and jump into that right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another midweek edition of the Frogs Insider Podcast. I am Melissa Trebosser. Happy to be joined today uh, by Jay Drew of the Deseret News, who has been covering BYU football uh, since 2008, so 15 years. So not not many know this program better than Jay does. Um, so we're happy to have him here um, on uh, the Frogs Insider as part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Network. Uh, Jay, thanks so much for, for taking some time to preview TCBYU this weekend. Sure, my pleasure. Heading out there Friday, and I uh, can't wait. Well, I've, I, I, I will... haven't seen the new stadium yet. I've I've been there several times uh, before it was uh, redone. So, uh, really looking forward to it. It is. Uh, they they call it the Camden Yards of college football, and I think it's an apt comparison. It is pretty beautiful. I'll be out there this weekend as well. So, uh, if you need any food recs, hit me up after. I'll make I make sure I take care of you. Send you the right way. Um, well, as you said, that you you you're familiar with this BYU TCU rivalry. One of uh, 
I would say one of the most underappreciated rivalries of kind of that early mid 2000s in the Mountain West um, when TCU, BYU and Utah were all cooking. You got some good seasons from San Diego State. I mean, that conference is a mid-major was one of the best conferences in the country and really set up some of these programs to make the leap into the power five or from BYU's case to go independent. What has that journey been like for BYU, the years of, of kind of that independence and, and having that thin margin of error and now getting that invite to the big 12 and being part of the power five once again. Yeah, I, I would refer, I would say it was a mixed bag for BYU. There were a lot of pros, a lot of, but a lot of cons. The schedule was terrific. Usually in September and, and parts of October. And then they, because they were independent and most conference teams didn't want to go out of conference in November, BYU ended up playing FCS teams or, uh, you know, group of five, lower level group of five teams. So um, on the other flip, on the flip side, their schedule gradually got better and better where, you know, in the last three or four years, they played five or six, even seven power five teams. Um but I don't think BYU would be in the Big 12 right now if it hadn't gone that independent route. Mm -hmm. So so I think it paid off in the end. But there were a lot of growing pains and a lot of kind of down moments and a lot of uh, a lot of struggles uh, for for BYU, their fans, people who follow the program. But in the end, it it worked out well and they're in the Big 12. And they've gotten off to a really strong start. I mean, obviously, they've had, I think, just the one um, or two conference games so far. They uh, lost to Kansas, and then they uh, pretty much handled Cincinnati. Um, but but overall, early returns, um, you know, as far as competition level, being able to make that leap. Like you said, they were playing a lot of Power 5 teams as an independent early in the season. But how is their depth kind of set up for the grind uh, of that Well. I guess I'm using grind generously since the Big 12 does seem to be a little bit down this year, um, but for the grind of kind of that that power conference season. Yeah, you know, BYU did got the invite in 2021, so they've had two years to kind of ramp up. The, you, you said it, depth is the big thing they've worked on. Uh, BYU generally has had a good first string, They've uh, but once injuries set in, they just haven't had the depth to survive, to 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 keep going. And uh, you can just go back year after year and just see where they just they just tailed off. Um, the depth is much better this year. They've needed it. They've already sustained some some pretty uh, devastating injuries. Um, I would say it's gone about how they they're probably a little bit better than maybe what some of us thought. That win at Arkansas was pretty big to mm -hmm. go into SEC country and win. Um, the Kansas game they were competitive. They lost by eleven, but but they gave up two defensive touchdowns or else that's, you know, a much closer game. Uh, on the flip side, they didn't really dominate Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati gained 200 more yards than them. So that that's kind of a um, BYU was just way more op opportunistic and they're really good in the red zone. That's kind of been the key to the season so far for BYU. And, uh, and that's a big reason why they're four and one. Well, and, and, you know, you you said it, um, you know, defensively, there have been some issues. Um, Kalani Sataki made uh, a, a change at defensive coordinator this offseason, and you've seen the metrics improve, but 
the run defense has been a problem. Um, TCU is going to be without Chandler Morris for this week and, and, you know, likely several weeks after that. And so they're going to lean heavily on that run game led by Imani Bailey, who has been one of the best backs in the big 12. How do you think that run defense will hold up against TCU's running attack, especially when they know that that's pretty much what's going to be coming at them probably 30, 35 times on Saturday. Yeah. BYU has been hot and cold with their run defense. Uh, they, they were without, again, in the Cincinnati game, they were without their starting middle linebacker, Ben Bywater, their leading tackler the last two years. Sat from talking to Jay Hill, the new defensive coordinator that you just referenced, talking to him, it doesn't look like Ben Bywater will play. So that will be really key for BYU, stopping the run. If you look at the last couple of years, BYU has really, really struggled to stop the run, and they've really struggled to get off the field on third down. Uh, teams have put together long, long scoring drives against them, 15 plays, 17 plays. You look at Cincinnati did it to them. Kansas did it to them. And it was mostly by just just grinding out, running the ball. And and I'm sure that'll be TCU's game plan. And uh, another thing about BYU's defense is they really struggle against mobile quarterbacks. And you would know more than me, but it looks like uh, Hoover is not quite as mobile as as Morris, I, yeah, know. certainly not is um we'll call him uh nimble with his feet. Um, he he's shown he's he's a decent athlete, but that's not his game. He's more of a sit back kind of pocket passer. But if you've watched TCU's offensive line, everybody has to be a mobile quarterback because the the pressure is certainly being given up a little bit. Yeah, so so uh, I mean Jalen Daniels, uh, the Kansas quarterback, yeah. just killed him with so the good, yeah. Game. Yeah, he, he was really good. And then it's unfortunate that he hasn't been able to play the last couple yeah. of weeks. But, but uh, that was a big factor. So if uh, if BYU can contain Hoover, I um, that'll be a big thing. And if they can focus a lot of their efforts on on stopping um, the, the powerful running back, uh, that'll be a, a, a key matchup in the game is, is uh, TCU's running game against BYU's front seven. Yeah, and I'm really interested. One of the things that historically BYU has had a lot of success with is, uh, and because of some of the unique circumstances in recruiting at BYU, is they often have older players, especially along the offensive and defensive line. They're more physically mature, certainly more mentally mature because of many of them served missions before or in the middle of their collegiate careers. Um, how is this defensive front compared to some of the the strong defensive fronts we've seen in the last decade plus of BYU? And do you think against a a struggling TCU offensive line, um, especially in pass protection, can they get to Josh Hoover, a young quarterback, and, and really wreak havoc in the backfield? Well, they, to be honest with you, they haven't shown that ability. They haven't generated much of a pass rush. I think they're among the bottom ten teams in the in the country in in sacks. Um, they've been a little bit better than last year as far as stoutness against the run. Um, they don't really have a, a game changer on that defensive line. They have uh, one really good player, Tyler Batty, who leads them in sacks uh, at rush in. But this whole revamping of the defense that took place over the offseason was designed to get more pressure, to wreak more havoc, as Kalani Sataki often says. And to date, they haven't really done that much. They are good in turnover margin. I think they're, you know, plus one, plus two in per game in turnover margin. So that's been a, a positive. But, but they just haven't really been able to uh, to get many, much pressure, much sacks on quarterbacks. 
That might bode well for the Horned Frogs. That's certainly been an issue for TCU across their um, couple game skid here to West Virginia and Iowa State, who both had pretty strong defensive lines. Um, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. Uh, if you're a college football fan, the name Keaton Slovis is certainly familiar to you. Obviously, his journey has been well documented. Um, it's one of those things that makes college football great. A kid that can be super highly recruited, get one of the you know blue blood offers, have it not work out after some initial success goes to Pittsburgh, that doesn't really work out, and then lands at BYU. And it seems like, for the most part, it's been absolutely um, probably best-case scenario for both parties. He seems like a great fit in this BYU offense, um, and obviously he's had a, a pretty hot start to, to his season as well and is a big reason behind BYU's 4-1 and one start. What can you say about Keaton Slovis, the quarterback, or the quarterback, and where can he have success against the TCU defense that's been pretty solid but is still very vulnerable to the big play? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. He's been a great fit for BYU. Uh, ironically, there's a video out there where he was at USC where he was almost making fun of BYU fans, calling them too nice, and they don't drink, but they still dish out some uh, some trash talk, the, the, the polite trash. But it's we pretty we remember it well, yeah. We remember yeah. it well, TCU. And then the, for him to end up at BYU is just really ironic, but, but he's actually just meshed in really well. The community loves him. He's he could be mayor of Provo. That's what I say. Wow. Starting yeah. quarterback at BYU is a celebrity. Uh, and and Keaton so far has he's done everything right on and off the field. Um, on the field, what I'm really kind of surprised about him is he's really poised. He's He mm -hmm. sits in the pocket. He'll wait till the last minute. He so far has made really good decisions, which is uh, for a BYU quarterback is really key. It's why Zach Wilson flourished at BYU. And uh, um, Slovis is not as athletic. He's not really, he's not a great runner, but he's he's a pure pocket passer. And and uh, just poise is the word I would use to describe him. He's, uh, uh, when the, when the you know, when they're in the red zone, when the chips are down, when they really need a big play, he's been able to deliver. Well, he's, you know, he's like 30, so that helps too, right? <laughs> Him and JT Daniels, who played together at USC, it's it's one of those, you're like, he's still in college? It's, that's, it's pretty awesome. But it's, it is really like, you know, obviously we don't want him to play great this weekend, but it's cool to see a kid like that that's kind of been through it in college football, um, experienced some success. It helps that he has some great targets. And BYU has put out some incredible receivers through the years. Um, you know, NFL fans have been watching Puka Nakua and been like, where did this kid come from? And he spent his last season at BYU where he had a, he had a pretty big year. And now you look at a guy like Chase Roberts, who um, quietly is putting together one of the, the best uh, seasons for a wide receiver, it looks like, in the Big 12. Um, and, and, you know, certainly one of the better seasons around the country. What is the secret to his success and, and what makes him and Keaton Slovis, Slovis have such a great connection on the field? Yeah, from the time Keaton got to Provo, Chase Roberts reached out to him. They have uh, just been become pretty much best friends. Uh, Chase has kind of showed him the ropes around Provo. And then uh, the thing about Chase is he's got really excellent hands. He's mm. he's not the fastest guy, although he's probably got you know dece deceptive speed. Um, he made a catch against Arkansas that was just phenomenal, one-handed catch. Probably without that catch, they might not beat Arkansas. Made another phenomenal play against Cincinnati for a 59 yard touchdown. So he's been a, a pretty pleasant surprise. A lot of the attention preseason was on other receivers, a guy named Cody Epps, who's had hamstring issues and hasn't played much, might be able to play Saturday. It's kind of still up in the air, but, but uh, 
and then they got a couple guys out of the transfer portal, a guy from UConn, a guy from Eastern Michigan. But Chase is uh, kind of re-emerged as as the go-to guy for Keaton Slovis. And and uh, the chemistry that those two have developed has been in a couple of short months has been has been pretty remarkable. We talked a little bit about the run defense and where there have been some struggles, but the run offense hasn't really seemed to get going too much, despite the fact this offensive line has has some real star power on it. What do you think is is kind of holding that run game back and how important is it for BYU to get that on track going into the meat of their schedule as well? Yeah, that's been the number one bugaboo for the offense. And and I mean they're I think they're 129 out of 130 teams in in rushing yards per game, which is with this offensive line and like you said, the stars they have, the Kingsley Suamatia, the right tackle is projected to be an NFL first round draft pick perhaps. And, and they've got other returning starters and older mature guys, like you mentioned that have been on two year church missions. So um, they, they did suffer a blow when Aiden Robbins, a thousand yard rusher at UNLV transferred in. And then he's had some uh, injury problems. They've had to go with a true freshman from El Paso, uh, LJ Martin. And he's been, he's been a pleasant surprise. He's been good, but, but that's the number one concern for BYU moving the second half of the season is they've got to get some sort of run game going without it. Uh, Keaton Slovis is going to have a really, really hard time as teams pin their ears back and just come after him, knowing that BYU struggles to run the ball like they do. And TCU's run defense has been generally a bright spot. They've gotten torched a little bit the last couple of weeks, but you know, as, as you know, in football, when the wheels start to come off, they all come off. So that's, that'll be an interesting matchup to see if TCU can get back on track or if this is the game that BYU is able to open it up. Um, before we talk specifically about this matchup this weekend, one of the things that's really fascinated me with BYU, especially with their move to the big 12 is how they've handled NIL. And, you know, BYU is, is one of the elite universities when it comes to alumni community, right? And, and how people stay invested because of, you know, the aspect of the LDS church and, and where they recruit from in the pipeline. They've quietly been an incredibly successful fundraiser when it comes to NIL. And they've had some team-wide deals and some program-wide deals. What do you think has, has worked for BYU in that regard? And how much of an advantage can it be as they get more attention nationally and kind of get some of these bigger stages with access to a, a power five or, or whatever, a power four and a half that we're going to have in the coming years? Yeah, I would say they were at the forefront of NIL. They got together really early. They, they, um, kind of their philosophy was let's try to make this where we don't feature stars, where we don't line the pockets of stars, but we try to spread it out to the whole team. That's kind of been their philosophy. They also took care of walk-ons with a, with an NIL deal, team-wide NIL deal they did with Built Bar, which uh, pays the tuition of walk-ons. So a, a lot of kind of groundbreaking stuff. Recently, they've uh, frankly struggled with this whole philosophy uh, they lost a kid in basketball to Kansas State because uh, they couldn't deliver in an IL, which he wanted, uh, and Kansas State was able to do. And so within the conference itself, they lost a kid. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, this philosophy of kind of spread it around and not just focus on a couple of stars. Uh, locally here, University of Utah made a big splash by uh, signing a deal with uh, Ram Trucks, where... Yeah all 85 scholarship players will get the lease for six months of a brand new Ram pickup truck. Um, 
which is just, you know, it, in a way, it's kind of getting a little out of control, to be honest with you. Well, it's not getting, it's been out of control for a while. It's, it's just out of control in the spotlight now, as opposed to behind the scenes, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, um, all in all, I think BYU is still kind of one of the leading universities, but uh, it's uh, it's with this whole focus on the individual and maybe the star power, that just doesn't kind of jive with BYU's kind of uh, the way they go about things. Yeah. It's more about the group than the individual. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that pays out in the NIL space. Well, and and, and the pockets are certainly deep around BYU. That's, that's the, you know, the, the amount of CEOs and and folks with money that, that have connections to that university. I think that they'll They'll be able to adjust and, and certainly be a player in NIL. There's obviously other recruiting challenges, if we want to call them challenges, with with BYU that are different than most universities. But I think that's that's fascinating if that kind of whole group effort philosophy will stay the same or if they will start at trying to attract some of the bigger stars. Um, and, and, you know, we're seeing a lot of the West Coast schools kind of deal with this as well. It seems like a lot of similar philosophies out out on this closer to uh, to the Western seaboard here. Um Getting back to this weekend, um, and then I have one last question for you after we talk about this particular game. Um, you know, like I said, BYU is off to a great start. TCU is obviously sliding. Um, Frogs are going to start a red shirt freshman making his first career start, um, and, and he's played a little bit of mop-up duty and, and looked like a freshman at times, looked like he can play a little bit at times, uh, and it's homecoming for TCU and their sequicentennial 150-year celebration. So the atmosphere around Amon G. Carter Stadium should be pretty electric, but um, obviously what happens on the field has, has been a little bit of a downer for frog fans. How do you see BYU coming into Fort Worth this weekend on the road, um, competing against this TCU team? Um, if, if they win, what has gone right? If they lose, what has gone wrong to, to kind of give us the final result here? Yeah, I think uh, one thing we should mention is BYU is coming off a bye week. Yeah, uh, they haven't played yeah. since, uh, since a, a week ago, Friday, they played Cincinnati on a Friday night. So they've had plenty of chances to heal up, plenty of chances to prepare. Uh, obviously, they were probably keying more on Chandler Morris until until the Iowa State game happened. But uh, for BYU, no excuses, really. Um, uh, they, you know, they should be pretty close to 100%. I mentioned they, they'll be without Bywater, their star middle linebacker. Um, but... Uh, there, there is one other kind of weird thing where BYU is 19 and one in night games in the past 20 oh. night games, but there are something like 14 and 13 in day games. They're just not good in the day. Coaches okay. don't want to, uh, uh, don't want to, uh, you know, kind of even go there and, and talk about it, but there's something to it. I don't know what it is. And, uh, and in fact, the Kansas game where they didn't play really well was a day game. Uh, obviously this Saturday is a day game that that's something to keep an eye on one of those kind of, uh, you know, peripheral things, but could be, could be, you know, an issue. I think it'll be interesting to see that what the, the crowd makeup is, um, famously in the summer, TCU's athletic director said, Hey, we're not going to sell tickets to BYU fans. And, you know, you can imagine how that played in Provo and, 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 that, and frankly, there are a lot of BYU fans in Texas yeah, wanted to go to that game. So uh, there's some other kind of things to watch, but on the field, um, you know, if BYU can't go in there and be competitive, uh, then there's there's probably something wrong with with the setbacks that you mentioned that TCU has at quarterback and how the Frogs aren't really playing that that well. Um, for BYU, uh, you know, if they can't 
get some, be competitive and, and stay on the field with the Frogs, unlike what they did those last four games when they were Mountain West Conference members, uh, then, uh, you know, then BYU's got some issues. So I expect a really tight, close, competitive game. Uh, I don't, I try not to pick games. Just people get mad at me because I'm, I'm a beat writer. I'm not, you know, a, yeah, you know, a cheerleader or anything like that. So, and, and so you're kind of, when it, you know, people get mad either way, you pick them, you're a homer, you pick against them, you're, you're a, a hater, negative <laughs> hater. So I'll stay away from that, but I'll just say, it, I think it'll be just a, a close down to the wire game. Yeah. I would love to see this give the vibes and the feeling of the old Mountain West games. I mean, there are some instant classics between these two teams. I, I will probably eventually pick this game, but I'm, I don't, I don't really have much of a feel for it right now. I'm just, I'm excited. I'll get to be there. I've, I've also heard that while, despite uh, the fact that they're going to limit fans in the stadium, that the press box is going to be packed to the gills. So there's a lot of BYU media traveling from what I understand. So that, that should be a fun atmosphere in there. And the pizza post game Jay is outstanding. So you'll, you'll eat well in the press box on Saturday afternoon. I can promise you that. Um, last thing I want to ask you about is obviously we're previewing the football game. Um, and that's, that's the big deal in the fall, but BYU is not just a football only member in the big 12 and they have a lot of successful programs across um, their athletics department. How do you see, uh, the transition going to the big 12, uh, for the other sports, especially I think about basketball and that's a program that's had some success and has had some big names, but hasn't necessarily been a national level player the last few years. And the reward for that is they get to come into what is arguably the best basketball conference in the country. Um, we're getting really close to tip off. What can BYU basketball do What this season? What do you kind of think of a level of success for that program? You know, BYU is going to struggle basketball-wise in the Big 12, men's and women's, especially men's. Um, I don't think there's any, you know, they the, the last three or four years, they have not been a great program. They've lived in Gonzaga's shadow. Uh in the WCC, um, and even in St. Mary's a shadow. So, um, they, I think they're in for a, a really rough go the first couple of seasons. Um, that there's kind of recruiting restrictions that BYU has with, with the honor code and academic. Uh, and so I, I, you know, NIL is going to be big in that for BYU to get, mm-hmm. attract some of those big time players, but uh, it's going to be a tough go. I I would not be surprised if BYU next week at the Big Twelve meetings in media days in Kansas City, if if BYU men are picked to finish 14th, dead last in the in the Big Twelve. I um, so yeah. I I mean I don't want to be a negative Nelly or anything, but it's going to be a struggle. I, and I think BYU people know that um, the women's program is a little bit more on the rise. Uh, I think they'll you know maybe be picked 11th, 12th around there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to be a Pollyanna and, or, or the neg or the reverse of that, but it, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough sledding. I mean, it's like you said, it's the, the best basketball conference in the country by far, I think. And, uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't see BYU winning more than two or three conference games. Is there a program in the BYU? you athletic department you think is outside of football that is best positioned to be successful early in the big 12? Well, women's soccer is very good. A yeah. Oh, that, that's a great point. The, the, yep. They played for the national championship. They've already started out fairly well. They've had a couple of draws on their home field, but, um, and BYU women's volleyball is very good. And, uh, and then BYU's best sports are cross country and track and field. 
Uh, oh, I didn't we, know that. Okay. Yeah, uh, uh, long distance running is is kind of a specialty among uh, among LDS church members, and okay. and no so That's cool. yeah, they I think they won a national championship a few years ago in women's cross country, and their men's are ranked high. So those are some of the sports that that they should be pretty good in. That's awesome. Well, like I, like I said at the beginning, um, you know, I, I think TCU fans are, are really excited to have this rivalry back um, and, and then bringing Utah into the fold in a year as well. I, I think it, it just it's it makes for um, just a, a really uh, good nostalgia as, as college football loses its best regional rivalries and its best kind of traditional rivalries across the country. It's fun to see some of them uh, come back into the fold. And, and I know we're all looking forward to a really fun game on Saturday. I do think it'll be super competitive. I'm, I'm with you. I think it's going to be back and forth um, in a way that TCU fans aren't going to enjoy because we've had enough of those, but um, I, I'm excited to see how this one plays out. So uh, Jay, once again, I, I thank you so much for taking some time. Uh, look forward to meeting you in person on Saturday afternoon up in the press box and uh, uh, looking forward to a great game on Saturday. Uh, thanks for, for taking some time on the Frogs Insider podcast this week. Yeah. Thanks for reaching out. It's been fun. Awesome. 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 Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Jay, for your time. I know that these weeks are always really busy. And so I'm always thankful when Melissa finds guys or gals who are are willing to to take some time to preview for other uh, producers of content, if you will. Um, Because it takes a while. It takes a while. And, uh, it, it's a it's a big deal to to have people on and, and do that kind of thing. So thanks to Jay. All right. Um, before we get into the three games that I am watching this week and the mailbag, I do want to give a huge shout out to both of our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel. First of all, Hell's Half Acre, folks, look, I don't know how else I can put it to you. I've been praising this this uh, this group for, for a long time now, but Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods has some of the most unique stuff for TCU fans that I think I've ever seen. And you don't really have to look any further than the baseball polo that they made last spring or the football polo that they came out with before football season started. Just some really fun, unique designs that make you stand out in a crowd that get you completely ready for any TCU game day, whether it's football, whether it's hoops, whether it's baseball, whether you're going to beach volleyball or indoor volleyball or watching the soccer team play. Um, no matter what TCU sport you're into, Hell's Half Acre has the clothing and the tailgate goods that you need to be fully ready for game day. Go over to hellshalfacresg.com. Check out all of their stuff. They release new stuff all the time. They just released some new hats this week that I'm going to have to get. I'm going to have to get one of these hats. It's a, it's a snapback hat that's got the circle kind of alternate horn frog logo on it. It is so good looking. I'm going to have to drop some money on that because it is awesome. So, Make sure you make your way over to HellsHalfAcreSG.com in the comment box when you make your purchase. Tell them that Frogs Insider sent you. Um, let them know where you heard about their site. And get some stuff. Support the Frogs. That's the cool thing about Hell's Half Acre too, is that a percentage of all of the purchases that you make go to Flying T, right? They're, they're connected with the NIL situation over at TCU. And so when you're buying from Hell's Half Acre, you are supporting TCU student-athletes in a way. So, you know, when we talk about because I see this on Horn Frog Blitz all the time. Well, how am I supposed to budget for an IL? How am I supposed to, you know, what am I taking money away from to give to TCU NIL? Well, you don't really have to think in a binary way like that, right? Like you're always going to be buying new TCU merch. Like that's at least if you're like me, every year when football season comes around, 
I'm ready to like refresh the closet, right? Like I've got to find a couple new pieces to put in the closet, maybe cycle some old things out. Um, if you do that through home, if you do that through Hell's Half Acre, you are supporting TCU NIL. And so there's, there's a, a connection there that I think is really cool. Um, and really unique about Hell's Half Acre Stadium goods. So, again, com. Go find yourself some fun TCU stuff, whether it's a, a shirt, a hat, a polo, some tailgate stuff, whatever it might be. Um, go check them out today. And buy the Hell's Half Lager, too, because it's really, really tasty. And that also goes to um, Flying Tea Club NIL. Next group up, though, is uh, Home Field Apparel, another company that I just have... Uh, absolute love for i would shill for both of these com- this is how you know you have good sponsors by the way folks is like hell's half acre and Homefield. i would i would absolutely hype both of these organizations up even if they didn't sponsor the podcast like i love the stuff that these two groups are doing and with Homefield apparel i mean i don't know how any other way i could put it at this point but like if you are a kind of person like me who as soon as i think i posted on twitter this week as soon as the temperature drops below 80 it's like all right i'm putting a hoodie on I got some gym shorts and a hoodie. I'm going to kids practice or whatever it is. Um, but that's kind of like my mode of being. Once it gets a little bit cooler in Texas, get your hoodie from Homefield Apparel. Do it. They've got some of the most elite hoodie designs I've ever seen. My Big Sky Conference hoodie is one of my favorites. But I've also got the Frog Script hoodie, the cream hoodie. And I've got the Purple TCU hoodie as well. Both of those fit incredibly well. They're super comfortable. They're like the perfect kind of hoodie for living in Texas, frankly, because they're not like the bulky, way too insulated, gonna sweat you out kind of hoodie. But they're also not the light, like workout, like kind of hoodie either. They're like the perfect thickness to keep you warm, but not too warm. You can wear them as soon as it starts getting cooler outside. Uh, and if you use the code Frogs in fifteen, you're gonna get fifteen percent off of that hoodie or any T-shirts or joggers or whatever else you want to get from HomeFieldApparel.com. Frogs in one five will get you fifteen percent off of your first purchase, and it will get you ten percent off of all subsequent purchases over at HomeFieldApparel.com. So go check them out today and make sure that you get comfortable and ready because, folks, winter is coming. I don't know exactly when, but winter is coming. So go get yourself a hoodie, get yourself a pair of joggers, and get ready. All right. Three games that I am watching this weekend. I tend not to do midweek games because this drops on Thursday, and if you're not listening to it until Friday afternoon or even Saturday morning, like oh, the, that's irrelevant. Otherwise, I would absolutely say we're watching the Dana Bowl because West Virginia and Houston is something that I am very excited to see what the heck happens in that game. Um, but that's a Thursday night game, so we're not really going to talk about that one. One that we are going to talk about, though, that I am curious to see how things turn out. Number twenty-five, uh, no, sorry, number twenty-three, Kansas, five and one, Kansas travels to Oklahoma State this weekend. And if you paid attention to football last weekend outside of TCU, you'll know that Oklahoma State hosted Kansas State. And in your brain, you're probably thinking, "Oh, Kansas State." easily the better football team well Oklahoma State won and they won pretty convincingly that was uh, I watched the mo- the bulk of this game and Oklahoma State did what they wanted to do against Kansas State for the most part defensively they looked really really good which is something that we hadn't quite seen from them yet this year you know they gave up 30 plus points to South Alabama they gave up 40 points to Iowa State 
Uh, right? So, like, this is not a, a an elite-level defense, but they showed up against Kansas State, and they looked really, really good. Jalen Daniels is not going to be playing in this game for Kansas. It's going to be Jason Bean again at quarterback. And I'm just curious to see if Oklahoma State can pull off the upset two weeks in a row. Kansas is a three-point favorite. I think that if Oklahoma State can get out to a, a lead and maybe just get a couple of stops here and there, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if Oklahoma State won this game. I think I'm still going to end up taking Kansas. Um but I think it's I think that minus three is a really good spot for that game to be a really good spot for that game to be. The second game that I'm looking forward to watching is probably a game that most people in the country are looking forward to watching this weekend, and that's the top ten matchup between Oregon and Washington. That's at two thirty on ABC, same time as the TCU BYU game. But I'll probably have it up on an iPad or something in the press box. Like this is a game that I'm very excited to see because I love Michael Penix Jr. I think he's an awesome quarterback. He has been slinging the ball all over the place. He's got arguably the best wide receiving core in the country. And I want to see them go up against this Oregon secondary that everybody's boasting about. And they've got some good advanced stats in their favor. And and they've looked pretty good. They absolutely dominated Colorado. But Texas Tech and Tyler Shuck had had their opportunities against Oregon. They had their opportunities to score. They put up 30 plus points in that game. And if it wasn't for a pretty bad interception pick six at the end of that game, Tech might have been able to drive down the field and score and win that football game and do do it against Oregon predominantly through the air. And so I'm very excited to see what Washington can do against Oregon through the air. I'm also excited to see what Bo Nix does against this Washington defense, which I don't think is very good. So this could be a high-scoring game. This could be one of those where the over-under is set at 67.5, and they might get there. I'm actually pretty convinced that they're going to get there. So that's another game that I am watching this weekend. And then last but not least, um, <laughs> this should be a game, folks, that uh, more people are watching because it should be a game between undefeated teams, but it's not because for some ungodly reason, Miami decided not to take a knee at the end of their game last week against Georgia Tech. Ended up fumbling the football. Georgia Tech scored a touchdown with, what, 10 seconds left? And won the football game. Otherwise, we're talking about 5-0 and Miami going up against 5-0 and North Carolina in a game that is two teams that are probably kind of front runners to make the ACC championship alongside Florida State. And so... This is one of those games where I want to see how Miami bounces back. I want to see how Mario Cristobal handles all of the criticism that he's had this week in the media. See if he can kind of set all of that aside and get his team ready to play. North Carolina, this is week two back with Tez Walker. Um, He finally got out of NCAA transfer purgatory. And uh, North Carolina is a pretty dang good football game. Football team, Drake May out here slinging the football around as well. I love a quarterback that can sling it around. Man, I just I, I love airing it out. I, I running is running the football's fun and and when we talk about like Amani Bailey and this year's TCU football team, like I love watching Amani Bailey run the football. But nothing nothing gets me fired up quite like a quarterback who just who just absolutely slings it around. So those those are the three games that I'm paying attention to this week. Um 
I don't think I put my picks post up last week. That was accidental. Uh, so I need to put my picks post up this week on Twitter. That'll go out on Friday at noon. You'll see the 10 games that I am picking this week against the spread. Uh, we're not going to talk about my record right now. We're not going to talk about my record right now. But all, all I know is that from here on out, we're going undefeated. We're going undefeated. All right, let's jump in to the mailbag. Uh, I'm just going to read straight off the forum today because I did not pull all of these into another Word document. But here we go. 2017 Frog starts us off with, what's the point of life anymore? Man, there is so much There is so much life to live out there. There is so much life to live out there. I, I have this challenge with the Cowboys more so than I do with, with TCU at this point in my life. But it is a, it is a, it is wild that I used to let football results impact like the rest of my week as much as I did, like being as upset as I was on Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays and really kind of dragging it all the way through Wednesday, um, letting that affect my mood. Not saying don't do it, but I'm saying there is a way to be invested and something that you love, and then to also have the perspective to say, man, that sucked. I'm sad my team lost. And like I'm gonna be okay tomorrow. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be an asshole to people. I'm not gonna do all this other stuff. And I say that off of this question twenty seventeen, not because I think that it's a, a a dramatic question or anything, but I think it is a dramatic question, and I think you know that. But I think it's it's more because there was a, a a media member who asked Penn State head coach James Franklin a question this week about throwing the ball more downfield, and he didn't word it very well. And and James Franklin had one of those kind of clippable, quotable responses to it. You're speaking Japanese. And that media member posted on Twitter yesterday that he's getting death threats. He's getting people telling him that he should kill himself. Or that they hope he dies? All because he asked a question that got a little bit of a reaction from a, a college football coach. And folks, if you are so heavily invested in this sport or a specific team to the point where you're telling people that they should die, you got to back up. Quote Gary Patterson, you got to take a step back. You got to figure something else out because that is not the way to go about life. That is not the way to go uh, and behave towards other people because they did something that you disagree with. We got to stop that. We got to cut that out right now. We got to cut that out right now. This is college football. It is not that serious. It is not that serious. All right, Bleed Purple 10. Given the current status of our frogs, what is your ceiling for this team? Can we get to six wins with the remaining schedule? I would assume the floor is possibly where we are now, possibly with one more win, but would love your thoughts on that as well. Go frogs. Go frogs. All right. This is one of those situations where I think for the last six weeks, I, along with everyone else who covers this team, we've we've had to kind of reevaluate week to week and identify those areas where we kind of got bamboozled in fall camp, right? Because I know that Jeremy and Jeff over at the Frogcast, I know Melissa and I here, and other folks who cover over cover TCU, we all we all came away from fall camp thinking this was going to be a team that could legitimately contend for a Big 12 championship appearance. Um, I said I said 10-2. and two. I think Melissa said 9-3. and three. Um, I know Jeremy and Jeff both said 11-1. and one. 
I said this, the the baseline for a successful year was eight and four. And right now, looking at the schedule, I don't know that they're going to get to that. I just don't. You know, you're, now you're playing with a, a, a redshirt freshman quarterback. Um, they made some reconfigurations across the offensive line last week that I thought were good decisions. But you you talk about how the Big Twelve is shaking out right now. BYU is the team that went on the road and beat Arkansas. Then you've got who is it? Texas Tech next in Lubbock after the bye week. No. You got someone else before that. Anyways. Oh, you got Kansas State. You got you got BYU this week. You've got Kansas State next week. Then you've got the bye before you go to Texas Tech in Lubbock on a Thursday night. Then you've got Texas. Then you've got Baylor winnable. Then you've got Oklahoma to finish out the year. Where where are where are five wins to get to eight? I don't see them. I just I don't see them. Do I want to see them? Yeah. But with the way this offense is rolling right now, I just don't see it. They're going to have to score 35 points a game, right? Because the defense and it's been don't break way has been fine, but it's still, it's given up 27 to Iowa State. You know, it's given up 21 to, or 24 to, to West Virginia. And now you're going to see some offenses that are better than those offenses. And your offense hasn't been doing pretty much anything. And nothing of note over the last couple of weeks. So the floor is definitely where we are now. And then the ceiling, I mean, just just do your best to get to six. Do your best to get to six. Mentikos, question one. What do you anticipate will change with the staff and the team over the offseason? They got to go get a quarterback in the portal. They got to go get a quarterback in the portal. Melissa and I talked about this in the offseason. If you're going to rely on Chandler Morris to be your quarterback one and you're not going to go get any portal help, that's putting your team at risk. Melissa said this more clearly, I think, than anybody else who covers TCU. She hammered, she banged this drum all offseason by saying, if you're not going to go get someone in the portal, you're putting your team at risk because we don't know if Chandler Morris can make it through a season healthy. She said it consistently throughout the summer. She said it consistently throughout the fall. And here we are at the midway point of the season with Chandler Morris down with a strained MCL. Sonny Dyke said on Tuesday that he's week to week. The things that I've been hearing say closer to four to six weeks, which means he could be done for the rest of the regular season. And if he is, Josh Hoover, we don't know what we got in him yet. We're about to, but we don't know yet. And it would have been nice to have maybe another another portal guy to come in and give some depth to this thing because Grant Tisdale is the backup quarterback beyond that. Jimmy Wyrick is a Wofford grad transfer who's the third string right now. And that's just uh, that's not, not where uh, depth should be for, a, for TCU's quarterback room. It's just not where it should be. Number two, are we likely to see more freshmen playing now? I think it depends, right? Because you've still got redshirt considerations for kids. Um, I, can't, I lost track of how many games we've seen Cam Cook in now. Uh, I think we've seen Cordell Russell in two, right? Um, so it depends. Are you willing to burn some of your better freshmen, burn a year for some of your better freshmen just to get them playing time or preserve that? And I know that the portal plays a big role in that question as well. 
Where is Cordell Russell, and is there any fire to that smoke? I don't know what smoke you're talking about, but I think Jeremy's been pretty clear about this on the site. Um, in order for a wide receiver to earn playing time, you have to know the place. That's just, I mean, they're just not going to roll a kid out there who doesn't know the place, doesn't know where he's supposed to be on the field. And that's not a slight against Cordell's work ethic. That is not a slight against his, uh, how he practices, because I've, I was out there in the fall. I watched that kid practice. He probably is one of TCU's best, hardest practice players. You know, you've heard, you've heard Sonny talk about Emmanuel Bailey, <laughs> Emmanuel Bailey, Imani Bailey, and, and how hard he practices every day. Cordell Russell, same thing. But then he gets into a game, and the play calls are a challenge right now. And that's that's fine, right? Like that's not. There are kids who get to this level, and that's a challenge because of the way their offenses were run in high school. There is no doubt that Cordell Russell is an athletic freak, and there is no doubt that once he gets the playbook figured out and understands his role, at, at that he's gonna be an incredibly good wide receiver. There is no doubt about that. But he's just not quite there yet. He's not quite there yet. And when you've got veteran guys who do know, especially Warren Thompson and, and, Dylan, and Dalen Wright, that those are the guys that are going to get the PT. And we've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about how TC probably needs to trim down their receiver rotation a little bit. Um, and so I just don't know that Cordell's going to be in that mix right now. And, you know, extrapolate that out to whatever doomsday scenario you want to. I'm not going to go there right now. Probably ever. But that's just that's just the reality. That's just the reality of the situation right now. Maximilian, over under six and a half wins the next seven weeks, and why is it clearly over? Because God is good and everybody loves TCU. We know that TCU is God's favorite team, and so they're gonna go seven and no from here on out. Um and that includes the the bowl game, I guess, because they ain't going to the Big Twelve Championship. Uh, Frog Frog, question one. Assume a scenario where Chandler is able and healthy enough to return this season. Right now, do you buy or sell that Josh Hoover outright claims QB1 and does not yield? Ooh, that's a good question. Because then you're talking about kind of a, a similar situation to last year with Max. Does Josh Hoover have the raw ability to Wally Pip Chandler Morris? I think yes. I don't think he's as good of a mobile quarterback as Chandler. Not many quarterbacks in the country are as good of a mobile quarterback as Chandler. Some of you might hear that and be like, that's a ridiculous claim. I'm standing by it. Chandler Morris is a very, very good mobile quarterback. It's not just about running. It's about moving in the pocket, creating throwing lanes. I think Chandler does that incredibly well. Josh Hoover has a better arm. He's more accurate downfield as a passer. And if we have one knock against TCU's offense this year, out of many knocks... They don't try to push the ball downfield at all. Part of that, I think, is because they're they're trying to fine-tune the offense a little bit to Chandler's strengths. And now you have an opportunity to do the same thing with Hoover's strengths. And so if we see them start to use some of these outside wide receiver weapons and get the ball downfield a little bit more, start to create some more explosive plays, which maybe opens up the running game a little bit for Imani Bailey, who creates some more explosive plays on the ground. I, there's definitely a scenario there where Josh Hoover gets this offense moving well enough for them to just kind of keep rolling with him. There's definitely a scenario there. 
Question two from Frog Frog. Please ask and answer a question that you wish had been asked but was not. If you don't want to answer that, then can you address there has been unity and good relations between the quarterback and wide receiver rooms this season? I'll think about the first half, but I will still address the second one. I have not heard anything to suggest that there is an insane amount of turmoil between the quarterbacks and the wide receivers outside of the normal amount of kind of going back and forth when you're trying to figure out why things aren't working like they should be. You know, there's an, it's not going to be like you're three and three right now. You should not be three and three right now because your three losses are to Colorado, West Virginia, and, and Iowa state. And none of those losses should have happened. The Iowa state loss should not have happened the way that it did for sure. And so you're going to, you're going to walk back into the locker room the next day and, and have questions and be frustrated. Like that's normal human behavior. And so they're not just going to go in there and be linked arm in arm and skipping around a maypole and just all happy go lucky all the time. Right. You're, you're going to be tested and challenged. And this year they're being tested and challenged in a way that's completely different than they were tested and challenged last year. And so there's going to be some tension there, but it's not anything that's, that's overly, overly insane. Why are the frogs a five point favorite over BYU army frog fan? I wish I had the answer to this question because I think at this point in time, they are no longer five point favorites. I think that line has dropped. I think it's dropped closer to four. Um, and when you think about home field advantage, that's what three, three and a half. So really one. This is this is closer to a pick'em than I think Vegas is letting on with that line. TRF fifty one. How do you think the team will change under Hoover? Do you think they will have more energy? Maybe take more shots downfield to back those safeties back and open some running lanes? Yes, 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 yes. I don't know about the energy part. Um, they've been playing hard. I think that that I've seen a lot of them playing hard, but I do agree. And I mentioned it earlier. I think they start to take more shots downfield. And I think that changes some things for this offense in a good way. TRF also asks, did you find it interesting that Sonny went out of his way to say that Hoover is respected and liked by his teammates? No, he said the same thing about Chandler all year. And Josh even said the same thing in midweek presser this week. You know, I've, uh, I asked him how, how Kendall Bryles had been, what Kendall Bryles had been saying to him, and I think it was, um, oh, who who was it? Oh, was it Steven over at Fort Worth Star Telegram? I think asked us a follow up question about you know what has Chandler been like this week, and and Hoover said he's been awesome. He said that's the kind of guy he is. He's an awesome teammate. He's been great. He's been super helpful, um, and getting Josh ready to be QB one this week. So all this all these narratives around Chandler being a bad teammate are odd to me because that's just none of that has is at least in my understanding based in a ton of reality pot liquor um do you expect that special teams coach tom Riddell will be here next year yes i do mickey DeSlick, who gets the second most votes for heisman behind josh hoover man if we're saying josh hoover wins the heisman i'm gonna say imani bailey gets the second most heisman votes minor frog 2409 is it time to move on from Chandler's QB1? I'd assume a third injury in three years means he isn't going to be the guy going forward. What does our quarterback recruiting look like going forward? Are we hard in the portal ASAP? Pause. Um, all right, so to the first part, is it time to move on from Chandler's quarterback one? No, I don't think that you walk away from Chandler. I just don't think that that's... I don't know how to put it. I, I have a hard time walking away from a dude who got hurt i have a hard time walking away from a dude and if injury three happens maybe he makes a decision 
I'm not going to get into what Chandler would do if he got hurt again this year or next year or whatever. I don't want to bring that kind of bad juju on him. Um, as far as quarterback recruiting going forward, I mean, Hollis Haney for the 2024 class. Uh, I think the last few iterations of the, of the 24-7 rankings, he's continued to, to jump up and up and up the list. Uh, we've seen some clips of him on the site uh, over at Alito, just kind of tearing it up this year. Looks really good, both on the ground and through the air. I'm excited to see what he's got. Uh, you know, the Frogs have another really highly rated recruit at quarterback committed for 2025. Um, and I do think they venture back into the portal. Uh, there are going to be some names that pop up into the portal this offseason that I think TC is going to be really interested in trying to bring in. And, you know, at that point in time, we'll be able to judge more about the, the swings and misses that they had in the portal this past offseason at quarterback. Was that the anomaly or the norm? We'll have more data to understand that in context this offseason. I, I think that this was a really interesting year offseason-wise and portal-wise for TCU um, because they played so late into the year. They were trying to get guys to hold on while they were still playing football and practicing. I think there's another question about that later on, so that's kind of where I'm going to hold for now. The Voyager 11, question one, any update on Johnny Hodges? Is he out for the season? Will he get an extra year of eligibility? Um, I think he will be able to apply for a medical redshirt. I don't know if he will apply for a medical redshirt. Uh, is he out for the season? He was out for four to six weeks because of a thumb injury, and I believe that was two weeks ago. So there's a possibility that he comes back, but you never know how that thing's going to react. Shad Banks is playing pretty well. So do you, do you rush him? Do you take your time? Is he going to apply for a medical red shirt? Do you take that in consideration? There's a lot going on there. I don't have any concrete updates on him. Um, Sonny mentioned him in passing in his midweek presser, but just to say that when Johnny went down, we lost a really good player, but Shad's been playing well. So there wasn't even really an update there on Johnny. Question two from the Voyager. Any insight on the Frogs recruiting of Jonathan Cunningham out of North Crowley? Visited campus back in March of 2023, but no offer yet. Seems like another dog from that 2025 class. I don't have that specific of a recruiting update on him, but they're building that North Crowley pipeline up pretty strong. Don't you think? I mean, they got a couple guys in the 23 class. They got another kid committed for 25. Like this is this is a pipeline for TCU and North Crowley has been putting out some insanely talented kids lately. So I think that's one of the best things that they're doing on the recruiting trail right now is building these awesome relationships with local schools because there's so much talent in DFW that has been um, overlooked by the program in the past. Question three from the Voyager: Any other football recruiting insights or players to keep an eye on in the month of October or November? Uh, Jeremy kind of touched on this, I think, on the site a while back, but it's it's been re relatively quiet um, on the recruiting front lately. They had a couple guys in for the West Virginia game. I haven't seen a list. I haven't seen anything about like who they're bringing in for BYU, but it's homecoming, so I'm assuming there's going to be uh, a handful of recruits on hand for that game. Um, Jeremy will probably have more info on that on the site, though later later in the week 40 beers not 40 does this season change the way yourself and jeremy might evaluate future teams in the spring and fall camps that's a good question uh i i think part of my misevaluation this year 
had a lot to do with the close game success that TCU had last year. And when I say that, it's like TCU was able to overcome those obstacles. And I undervalued how much that was pure player talent when you're talking about Max and Kendra and Quentin and D and Dylan versus and and THT versus game planning and execution and play calling and all of the more coaching related side of that close game luck versus players making plays on the field. Um, and so I guess in my head, I was thinking even if they did take a step back as far as the top end talent of the team goes, I thought that the depth was there and the coaching staff was there to still kind of get them through some of those close game situations. But like 40 beers, not 40, 40 beers, not four says in, in the back end turnover luck is one thing, obviously hurting this team, but it also seems that putting so much faith in players who haven't really proven it in games has overshadowed the realistic need for development. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is still a program that has to develop guys. And that's why I think when, when I talked a couple of weeks ago about portal versus high school recruiting, like you always, if you're TCU, you always, always, always have to have that foundation of guys that you have developing in your program. And that's such a bigger challenge now because of the portal than it has been at any other time in history of the sport. But you, you have to be able to develop guys because you're not just going to get loads and loads of five stars who are, who are 90% ready to go. And you're, you're going to hit in the portal, but you're not going to hit in the portal maybe necessarily always for a Keon Coleman or a Caleb Williams or a Jordan Addison or someone like that. You're going to get Josh Newton, right? You're going to get a Mark Perry. You're going to get an Imani Bailey. You're going to get an Alana Lee. All really good players. But you can't just be fully dependent on the portal. You have to, have to, have to be developing guys. Which means that you're going to have to identify some talent that maybe the recruiting services haven't seen, other schools haven't seen. That's why I don't really tend to, to be critical. Oh, they got this guy committed, but oh, he doesn't have any stars. I don't care about that. Andy Dalton had two stars, right? Jerry Hughes had two stars. Who cares? Stars, stars matter to national analysts who have podcasts that say stars matter. Stars don't matter to coaches at all. They do not care. They do not care. And they're going to get the guys in that they feel are going to be best suited to help that program be successful, whatever the ceiling might be for that program. Moving on. Ultimate Frog. How does the team adjust knowing the season is over in terms of playoffs? Play more young guys, try and get medical red shirts. Yeah, we'll see a little bit of all of that. I don't know that the team necessarily adjusts from the week-to-week wanting to win football games, though. Um, I don't know if that answered your question at all, Ultimate, but that's kind of where that my brain just shorted out a little bit. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. West Texas Frog. <laughs> Dykes obviously sees something in Hoover since he heavily recruited him at SMU and then made him his first target when he took the TCU job. Can you get into more detail about their relationship and anything Dykes did not share in the press conference? Honestly, I'm excited for the kid to settle in and show his talent. Sonny Dykes likes quarterbacks that can throw the football around. This is why I like Sonny Dykes. He and I love the same thing about quarterbacks. He wants to see a quarterback step back in the pocket, put his foot in the ground, and fire that football all over the field. Josh Hoover can do that. 
Josh Hooper can do that. He's been shaky in the moments that we've seen him this year because he's been thrust into situations where he maybe wasn't exactly expecting to be in the, in the game. He is expecting to be in this football game against BYU. And I think we see a lot more confidence. I think we see a more calmed down version of Josh Hoover. And I think we see a very accurate downfield passer on Saturday against BYU. I'm excited to say I'm excited in the same way you are Tex. I, I see him settle in and show his talent. I think we're ready. We're ready for that. All right. Will FTX, this, this post is getting downvoted, um, but I'm, I'm going to bring it up anyways. Did Chandler fail as a leader on this team? Was he not able to connect with teammates being from Highland Park? A blue-collar quarterback like Duggan had this team ready to die for him. Have not heard a lot about that from Morris. Chandler Morris, this is, this is another part of the kind of the false narrative around Chandler. Chandler did not fail this team as a leader. He, was a good, he is still, to this very moment of this recording of this podcast, a good leader on this football team. He has done, in my estimation, absolutely nothing to deserve some of this leadership questioning that he's getting on on the boards and on Twitter and all this other stuff. All he did was get hurt. He threw he threw some picks, right? He hasn't played his best football, and that sucks for him, right? And I feel bad for him because in those moments he didn't come through like he wanted to on the field, right? He he those two red zone picks against Colorado haunted him, right? And it overshadowed maybe too much the rest of his day on the football field, which was pretty dang good. And the same thing goes for his game against SMU, right? Which was pretty dang good. His game against Houston, which was really good. And, you know, I just, I, I just don't get it. I just don't see where, where all of this is coming from. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something. That is absolutely possible, but I, I, I've been around him for his three years now on campus. I've been around this team since he's been here. Leaders look different based on a person's personality. Not every leader is going to be Max. Not every leader is going to be like Andy Dalton. Not every leader is going to be like Trevon Boykin, right? Leaders look different. And just because Chandler's leadership looks different or sounds different than Max Duggan's doesn't make it any better or worse. It's just different. Hyperfrog. I know this will get pushback, but I think people's frustration is largely self-inflicted. I said multiple times on different threads that people had these unrealistic expectations on the team that were almost certainly going to be unmet. So many people were not only expecting 10 wins, but saying they would be disappointed in anything less. How much of the fans' outrage is due to unrealistic expectations on this team that had so much turnover on the roster as well as with the coaching staff? I think... Anytime we invest emotionally in sports, we should be at least somewhat aware of the fact that we're probably setting ourselves up for disappointment. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. I am a Dallas Mavericks fan. I am a Texas Rangers fan. And they're going to the ALCS against Houston. And do I want them to win? With every ounce of my being, yes. Am I mentally preparing myself for failure? Also very much yes. So, we'll see. We'll see. I think that anytime you invest in in something like this, there the outcome is more than likely going to be disappointment. Do I think that we should stop or cool it off or tone it down because of that fact? No. Because when you do hit, holy cow, it feels great. Um, 
let's see. Task Force Frog, what's the biggest need for TCU in the offseason? they got to get a quarterback in the portal. They've got to get a quarterback in the portal. Has TCU undone its success from last year? Um, off the field, from a brand perspective, from a recruiting perspective, I really don't think they have as much as people want to believe simply because TCU is always going to be a team with, with a cycle, right? Like you're always going to cycle. We've seen that for decades now with TCU. Even in the midst of them winning as much as they've won, they've had those years where, oh, this is very clearly a rebuilding year. This is very clearly a we gotta we gotta develop some guys kind of year, and that's just this that's this the part of the cycle that TCU is in this year, right? We've got to develop some more guys. We've got to get some some guys grown up a little bit. Some guys some more experience. That's that's kind of the spot that they that they are in right now. Moving right along. Frog, Frog, Frog says, It was odd to hear you say we don't have boomer bust seasons last week when that's all I've ever heard thought about the program. We haven't won eight games once since 07 and haven't won nine games since 1955. It's always either double-digit wins or barely making a bowl. What, regardless, what do you consider a realistic floor of the program? Um, going into the new Big 12, should the standard be six wins in rebuilding years or higher? based on how we recruit compared to the rest of the conference. Okay, first part of that. We might have different versions of boomer bust. I don't think a bowl season is a bust of a year. It might be a bust compared to a person's expectations for what they do. But I don't think that making a bowl should be considered a bust of a year. So maybe that's where the difference is there. And they only didn't make a bowl. They only missed a bowl, what, three times, four times under Patterson? Until those last couple of years, which were just, uh, just a disaster. Um, considering a realistic floor for the program, I think that in the new Big 12, TCU should be bowl eligible every year. Uh, uh, maybe one year out of the four where it's a really young team, they lose some games that they shouldn't, and maybe go five and seven, four and eight. Maybe once every four or five years that should happen. But realistically, I think six wins should be the standard and the baseline, really. I think success will be eight or nine. Um, compared to the rest of the conference, TCU recruits really, really well. And that's going to continue to be the case. It's going to continue to be the case. And uh, so, yeah, there should not be a reason TCU misses bowl games. There just should not be a reason for that. Grumpy. Grumpy Toad. Discussing the elephant in the room, and it's been touched on, but it's more than obvious that Chandler cannot be counted on as the bell cow of the quarterback room. <sighs> Looking to December, decisions have to be made. Figuring Hoover is a certain roster spot and Haas coming in. We really only have one more spot available. With Morris being a seventh-year sophomore and the need to absolutely have a big-time transfer, what is the play here? Does the staff have their eye on anyone in particular at the position this early in the process? Okay, so a couple different questions there. I think TC would be totally fine with carrying four quarterbacks, so I don't know that it's like a, hey, Chandler, move on kind of thing. I don't think that they would do that to him. Um, and I think that when he is healthy, there is still a legitimate possibility, maybe even an expectation in that coaching meeting that, Morris is going to be one of the guys who's competing for that QB one spot. Like that's, that's just the reality. I think with Chandler, um, 
without mentioning names. All right, just so this is something that college staffs do all across the country. Um, having talked to some some national media folks about this, I've heard that this is this is the case for a lot of co- a lot of coaching staffs where, yeah, they kind of have their eyes on on players. Maybe it's a player that they've recruited in the past. Maybe it's a player that they've gotten to to see up close in conference. Maybe it's you know whatever it might be. And they track, right, all of that stuff and say, okay, we're going to keep an eye on this kid. Like, if this kid hits the portal, yeah, we're definitely going to reach out. If this kid hits the portal, uh, we've done enough evaluating on our side to maybe say, we're not going to reach out. Um, so, yeah, they definitely, coaches all across the country have, have folks on staff who are already kind of going through, going through that process and keeping an eye on on positions of need and and players that might hit the portal. That's an interesting one though, because it's like you can watch a lot of guys and evaluate a lot of guys and then they just don't get into the transfer portal. And it's like, Oh, okay. We spent a lot of time on that. So there's definitely a balance there that has to happen because you know, how much time are you going to spend on that versus recruiting high school kids versus, you know, recruiting your own players to stay all that kind of stuff. Frog of War 14. Question one. The two biggest selling points of, in Kendall Brawl's offense this year were efficiency and simplicity. What led to both seemingly not being true, at least in the first half of the season? Um, I don't know that efficiency was ever a big selling point in Kendall's offense. Because if you look at his numbers from his previous stops, the red zone issues have always kind of been there. Um, simplicity was as advertised, but I think it was simplicity in a different way than we've seen simple offenses run at TCU in the past. And what I mean by that is it's simple for certain players. I don't know that it's necessarily simple for quarterbacks. And I think we've seen that this year. Question two, what effect, if any, do you think the differences between fall camp starters versus in-season starters has had? I think it's hard to miss fall camp and then step into the offensive line like John Lance did. Um, I think when you miss half of fall camp because of transfer issues like Dalen Wright did, that's a challenge and it sets you back. Um, it also sets the quarterback back in a way that you're just, you don't have the reps to, to build trust there. Um, so I think that there are some challenges there. Frog Frog War goes on to say, thinking guys like Deary starting at center and Russell getting starts at X, if that led to discontent on the team. I don't know if it necessarily led to discontent, but I think it's a real challenge to get guys locked into what their role is when there's a lot of shuffling going on. Um, And, you know, that's one of the things that I said about baseball last year, too. When you have guys that, oh, they're a starter on the weekend one day, they're in the bullpen the next, you've got guys rotating at different positions in the outfield, whatever it might be. Like it's, a, it's so hard to get into a rhythm if you don't know what your role is. When we started seeing TCU baseball kick it into another gear last year, they had established roles for every player on that team. And sometimes it takes time, right? And when you've got a new coaching staff, like, like when you have a new coach like TCU baseball had with TJ Bruce last year, it takes time to figure out what that coach's expectations are, to figure out how that coach is at, like, you've got to build trust between coaches and players, just like a quarterback and a wide receiver have to build trust. And so there's probably some of that happening with Kendall Bryles and these offensive players right now is like, they're starting to really learn what he's asking of them, 
what the expectations are, how to execute things at a high level, that there's that back and forth that's still going on, right? They've only done this for six games. And so there's that, that back and forth that's still going on. Would we have loved to see it happen faster? Yes. Did I think it was going to happen faster? Absolutely I did. I said that this team was going to be 10 and 2 by baseline 8 and 4. And so the but, but reality plays out a lot different than theory most of the time. If you had control of the starting lineups, what changes, if any, do you make moving forward? Are there any young guys you give more playing time to? Um, I honestly don't. I, I, I would narrow down the wide receiving core. I'd probably roll with Savion, Jalen, Dalen, and Warren at the outside. And just kind of keep it there. JoJo, JPR, in the slot. And a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of Jared Wiley. And just that's that's the receiving core from here on out. Question four, how scared should we be of Oklahoma and Texas after our start to the season? Bad, bad TCU teams have beaten Texas before. Oklahoma looks like an absolute machine. Uh, question five, does Dalen regret talking about how much worse the Big 12 corners are compared to the SEC after he got the ball ripped out of his hands for an interception? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, Ultimate Frog, is Cordell almost certainly gone after the season? I don't know. I don't know. Kids transfer all the time. We'll see. I don't know that that's worth stressing about right now. I just, I may, I, and I might be in the minority on that. I, I just, I can't stress. I, I got too much other things in my head to worry about whether a kid is going to transfer or not. Perp Gang, 2341. Played so long last year, all the way until the last possible day. Do you think that hurt in recruiting? Not just being able to focus on that instead of having to do both. Did we miss out on guys from the portal to do that? I don't know that, I, the, I'm going to say, I don't have concrete evidence of this. I don't have confirmation of this. I'm going to assume that they missed out on some guys in the portal because of how late they played into the year. Um, and when you are dividing your attention between getting your team ready to play in a national championship and getting your team ready or, or getting your staff ready to go out on the recruiting trail, you got to prioritize some things. Um that's not to say that I think I think the overall benefit of making a college football playoff will in the long term help recruiting, but in the moment, yeah, you're gonna you're not gonna be able to delegate some things like you would otherwise when you're still playing football in January. All right. That's gonna do it for the mailbag this week. Thanks to everybody who submitted questions. Thank you all to listening to this for listening to this episode of Frogs Insider. Again, Anywhere you get your podcasts, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. If you're watching this on the YouTube channel, hit the like button. Leave us a comment below. We got some cool stuff going at Frogs Insider. We got some excellent stuff, recruiting news happening over at hornfrogblitz.com. Not only for football, but for hoops and baseball, too. I just dropped 1,200 words on the baseball team earlier this week. Make sure you go and check that out. Follow me on Twitter at frogpreacher. Follow Melissa on Twitter at thecoachmelissa. And until next time, go Frogs.